Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Etienne Stott. Etienne Stott, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm raring to go. It's lovely to be here with you, Josh, and always enjoy our conversations and, yeah, looking to see where we go. And it's been over a year. And now we've, we've emailed a couple of times since, and there are a few things that we could cover. And I'm going to say a couple of things we're going to get to later because you just before we started seeing recording, we were talking about the situation in England right now. So you had written me and said, I haven't really done the, the commitment and I'm not really sure what I can say. And I say, oh, there's a few people who have that happened with. And we've do, we do like episode 1.5. We revisit it. And those have actually ended up being some of the most, the readers like them, uh, listeners like them a lot because they say, I'm struggling and I'm glad to hear someone struggling. And that's one of the reasons I pick leaders and especially athletes, right? You have not won all your competitions. You've had to snap back. And I think people identify with that more than Disney. Oh, it's easy. Just avoid straws done. Yeah. Success is definitely a nonlinear endeavor. And I bet you face some, sorry if I, I don't know how this is going to sound. I'm sure you face some crushing defeats and Mm, oh, you had your injuries as well. Utterly miserable times, no doubt. Yeah. He said, you know, you can't hear this, but you're smiling. Maybe you could hear that he was smiling as he said that. And yeah. uh, now we were also talking before hitting record that when we recorded last year, it was January 6th. And we were blithely unaware of what was going on in Washington, D.C., but it added gravity to our conversation. Mm. And then you mentioned that you have just come from court yourself very recently and that England is having some legal battles about Maybe you could tell us. And Yeah, no, it's interesting. So I know in the United States, people say England when they mean the United Kingdom, but this is our parliament, basically, our government trying to push through. There's all sorts of actually very oppressive elements to the various uh, pieces of law that they're trying to pass. So one of the things that passed just recently was a, a voter ID law, which is very bad for people who don't have voter, who don't have access to IDs, which tends to be unhelpful to people in certain demographics, disempowered and disenfranchised. We've had a, an immigration bill, which is threatening to strip people of their British nationality. And most recently, just a few days ago, our House of Lords, which is our sort of upper house, I guess, equivalent to the Senate, but mm-hmm. it's an un- a group of unelected represent- an unelected um, people, pushed back against the government, rejected roundly a whole raft of measures that were seeking to shut down peaceful protests aimed specifically at groups like Extinction Rebellion and Black Lives Matter, groups that have, you know, had been disruptive, but who have had a very shaken the shaken the tree of the establishment. And these measures were kicked out as anti-democratic, a very significant campaign to push them out because as many people who understand democracy you have to have dissent in a democracy and it's not up to the government to decide how people can protest if people are angry and upset and they don't feel they're being heard they should be able to protest peacefully in whatever means they they choose to and these protests were these measures were designed to shut those avenues down and that's just completely wrong so it was very important for me as an individual for example this is linking to this question i was convicted just a few days ago, it's called a public order offence, and then basically for sitting down in the road as a part of a, an extinction rebellion protest. And I got, uh, I got, I had to pay costs, and I had a called a conditional discharge, which means I don't, I didn't have to pay a fine, 
But if I do something again, I'll get to pay an extra double fine sort of thing. But if I was to do that once this laws, these laws had come in, or if they do come in, or if they come in the form that was rejected, I would stand to go to prison for up to 51 weeks, which is you know, completely awful, terrible way of dealing with protest and absolutely in Extinction Rebellion and lots of other groups have recognised when you are starting to get traction and you're starting to threaten the power of the establishment, the establishment starts to, you know, kick back and, and push back in a more, and I suppose a lot of people in Extinction Rebellion have taken this as a sign of our effectiveness, the fact that we are being now actively repressed and, and, and oppressed by the state is a sign that we are having an effect on them. And the interesting thing is that with the, over the Christmas period, you know, don't look up and COP26 failing, mm-hmm. there's huge now massive amounts of public understanding, I think, increasing public understanding and the fact that the government's not doing it right. And I think people do recognise that there is a need to protest and supporting. They may not be completely cool with everything that happens, but they do think this needs to happen. So it was really interesting. And you know, I'm proud to be a member of Extinction Rebellion. But right now in this country, our government is really heading in a very authoritarian direction. And it's actually quite scary. I think people have been losing sleep. I was not at all happy about this. And I'm glad that these measures were actually kicked out by our House of Lords. I'm listening to you. And the one part that hits me closest to home is when you say, when you talk about the UK, you could have easily been talking about the US, almost all of that. Mm. It's a tendency, I'm guessing, around the world, around in times of stress, in historical context, we've seen when there's economic, social stress, things tend to create tension and, and pressure, and governments seek to take the easy way out, which is to, to, to crush it down and put it in a box. And it's very challenging because one of the things we don't want is things to descend into utter chaos and horror. But this protest are a measured and justified responsible response to that rather than the chaos and horror of, you know, our collapse of our civilization it will be precipitated by the full might of displeased mother nature being unleashed on our very fragile, resilient systems. So to me, this is a kind of case of, yeah, let's have, let's do it. Let's do it the easy way now, even though the easy way is really hard because we've left it for so many decades. The easy way now, because the hard way is going to wipe the floor with us. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's, it's, there's definitely generations of people who said, yeah, it's an issue, but we'll take, we'll get to it soon enough. And, and soon some, their backs will be to the wall and they'll do it. So our backs are to the wall. I mean, my measures is 10 million people. I think the last I read was 9 million people a year die from breathing air, not going into factories that are dangerous, not being just breathing air. You can choose not to smoke, but you can't choose not to breathe. And that's today. And it took, think about atrocities in the past that were none of them were on this scale. And that's annual. Yeah. And I'm thinking if I'm in government, I have the ability to do things that people not in government can't do. And we're talking mm. about reducing pollution. Yeah, I guess I could say there's some industries that are going like the travel industry, cruise ships and jet planes. They're not going to do so well. But it's, as you say, it's civilization is. Mm. And that's I mean, why we need an orderly transition. I'm not advocating for the overnight shutting down 
of the aviation and cruise line industry because that's just not cool. There's a lot of people in there just needing to earn their crust. But those industries are killing us. They do need to shut down very quickly. And a just, fair transition needs to look after the people involved in those industries, not necessarily the big guys who are you know, doing super well. But there are people to make a just transition in all of these industries that need to change. There has to be a supportive, sensible way of doing. That's why it needs to be organized. Because let's also be clear, let's keep the, you know, we can keep the transport, let's keep the aviation industry going, the cruise line industry going for a few decades longer. Those things are going to stop when the climate collapses. So there is only, they're basically playing for time. It's delayism. Now we're in an era where we're mostly beyond denial. We are now in delayism. And the reason for the delay is so that the continuing profits of these industries, these companies, and against in the end, the people who profit the most, are being prioritized in advance ahead of our future. And that is enraging. And it should, you know, bring everyone to the point of saying, what the hell do I do? And I think some people do reach that point and then turn away from it, which is understandable because mm-hmm. it's very challenging. And other people are saying, actually, no, enough is enough. We need something needs to be done. And this is, I believe the pressure, the river is running now and it's growing. I do believe that. So I'll tell you, one of the one of the things I'm trying to do in my strategy is that I believe that within, at the heads of these industries, pick a polluting, a very polluting company, DuPont or McDonald's or Chevron or whatever, then the heads of these places are also human beings. Mm-hmm. And they care, I, I believe, despite what many would say, that as individuals, they probably care about the environment as much as everyone. And I think that within them, that there's willingness to act. Like if you're the head of, say, McDonald's, maybe your issue is maybe you're going to be very sensitive to like beef. Like you don't want beef to go away. Mm. But you might not be, you might, but litter might be a bigger issue for you if you live in some nice neighborhood. And, and if the person acts on that, I think, and they enjoy that action, mm. then they might go to more. And I think that there's a Schindler among them. Someone who would say, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, they're going to feel just like you do. And they're going to feel like I'm going to change my organization from the inside and I'll become an Ivan Shurinard, like from Patagonia. Yeah. And And this is, this is leadership, right? This is where leadership needs to, to be exhibited. And I do think that these bosses, you know, let's say Shell, for example, we know spends more money on advertising and greenwash than it spends on renewable energy. So it spends more money talking about renewable energy than it does on renewable energy, amongst other things, and spend, talks about other things as well. But mostly these days, Shell talks about renewable energy. Mm-hmm. And someone somewhere in those organizations, there's a small group of people get together and continue with this strategy. And it's completely, and, and when you say they're human beings, I completely agree with you because I suspect, and I'm being as kind and compassionate as I can with them here, that they want their family, their friends, their loved ones to be well and happy, uh, just like you and I, that they are motivated to some degree by wanting to look after, having the means to look after the people that they care for. But the thing that somehow has gone weird is that it's got perverted or corrupted. And now it's what they're doing is, is too much. They've almost certainly the people that they care for have got what they need. And it's get, somehow it's got out of hand. 
and now what their actions are actually in opposition to the things that we need, you know, clean air, comfortable climatic conditions, whatever you want to call. So it is really, I find this very challenging part of it because we have to, and the people in our government, I just suspect some of them may understand this problem. It's very hard to tell because the actions sometimes are so at odds with it. But I do think it's really important to recognise we're all human beings. We've all got a history that leads us to these places. But now leadership is about stepping out. Leadership is about doing something active, different, and moving towards a clear, in a clear direction that may well be different than the, the direction of what's going on or the direction of what inertia is taking us in, I suppose. And so for me, yeah, absolutely, these companies, some of them, there, there is people in there who are probably struggling every day going, this is weird, I don't like this, I'm not enjoying, this doesn't seem right or whatever, but they're carrying on because they need their job or they think they need their job. And maybe they do because they, I, I don't know, whatever the circumstances are, but we do need people at all levels in all places to step up. That's critical in this thing. And this is what sports is about. This is what leadership is about in my book. I think there's a lot, I, I spent a lot of time thinking if they do, can they not see what the prediction, you know, t- generations ago, they said we might warm the earth. Actually, it looks like we are going to warm the earth and people doubted it. Mm-hmm. Now that's, I don't, there's very little doubt. Yeah, there's and no doubt. Now, now people are saying we could have a, a systemic, a, a giant population collapse of many people suffering and dying. And we could say well, they were right about the sea level rise and so forth. Maybe there's something there. And that's a big problem. Why aren't people acting? So I think, I think one, like the mental model, I think a lot of people have, I can't get it exact, but there's, I think th- there's a lot of the following out there that the free market, I mean, this is not my, this is not me. This is not my, yeah, yeah. but no, no, no. The, the, the free market has created more wealth and cr- brought more people out of poverty and cured more disease by how, optimally allocating resources to the creative and the innovative. And as crazy as it may sound, if we think that fossil fuels are a problem, the best way to solve that is through the free market. And the worst thing we can do is to misallocate resources, which would lead to suboptimal solutions. So it may sound crazy that if people are using fossil fuels today, we should continue that because that will allocate resources optimally to solve the problems we need to solve as long as we act, as long as we know that's a problem, then it'll all work out and have faith in the markets and and don't try to mess it up. I think that I don't agree with this view. I could agree with it. I could see someone diving into it and feeling like this explains everything. Mm. And I think that would drive someone to say, if I'm the head of some organization, I'm making a lot of money. Plus this idea that I certainly had this when I first started my first business. I thought, I got a product. You got money. If I sell you the product and you give me the money, well, I value the money more than the product. So I'm happy. You brought by value the product more. So you're happy. We've made the world better. Yeah. And if I form an organization that grows this more and more, I'm making more and more good. Profit is good. More profit, more good. Mm-hmm. And... So if I'm sitting there at some head of some organization making a lot of profit, knowing that the invisible hand is going to allocate resources optimally to solve problems, this is that's how to get the money and resources to the smart people who can do it. Then they're going to say, if you're stopping me, 
you're messing things up. Now, so one of the things that I keeps me up at night is how do I work with that? If someone has that view, I first have to validate, does someone have that view or something like it? Yeah. How I mean, do I lead someone fun. like that from a place of feeling that way to well, either maybe I'm wrong, but if I'm not wrong, then for looking at the world the way I do or something different than that. Yeah. Where do I begin? Uh, <laughs> it's really interesting. I know you was in your position. I disagree with a huge amount of that. The, I think, first of all, one of the things is that we're in that we're in an era of free market fundamentalism of an extreme attachment to free market ideas and these ideas are what has got us into this place because the free market ideas uh, this free market extreme free market uh, kind of position absolutely rests on finding resources from somewhere and basically taking them for less than they are valued at that point and turning them into something more valuable and externalizing the, the waste products, the cost of that, someone else bears that. And that just creates this horrendous dynamic in the world where we just go wherever we can, you know, mine whatever asteroid it is where it's going to end up if we're not careful. Mining the seabed, these, it doesn't, other people's places. Yeah, the other people's places um, is the big one for me, yeah. Yeah, other people's places is another thing's lives is another, you know, way of putting it. That's important to say. And I think the other proposition about something when you read into has this trickle down effect of this free market. And we're talking about extreme free market. I, I do believe it's said people do get some pleasure if they give you some money and they get something back and they think that's great and lovely. Do you know what I mean? But it's got to this place where we can, there's almost no other alternative profit. And when you look into the way that wealth has grown in this world, it has accumulated in, because once you've got money, you can just make more. And little people get a bit more money, but they don't get the same, they don't increase. It doesn't increase. And when you look at levels of poverty, it's not really worked out the way they said. So I really encourage anybody to read a book called Donut Economics by Kate Rayworth. I think that shows that there's other alternatives. One of the funny things that I get told all the time, or sometimes, not by many people, I'm saying, actually, I've got these really big problems with extreme free market free market thinking. They all oh, you must be a communist. And no, I'm not. We've already seen that that doesn't work either. There's other solutions out there, and we need them because at the moment, the markets are not responding. And I know another part about free market thinking is that there has to be good information out there and at the moment the information is being suppressed by groups and individuals and powerful and influential people about the backdrop for all of this which is that our planet is dying and we don't have very long to to stop that from happening and also the truth is that this isn't working for millions upon millions of people it's making even people in wealthy affluent countries like ours perhaps even in more middle class places mentally unwell the stress and strain of modern life is not working for a lot of people and it's not working physically and financially for a lot of people that truth is being suppressed and therefore the market cannot work properly because these pains miseries and this incredible debt that we are accumulating now for future generations is not priced in either and that debt for future generations is the fact that they're not going to have a planet that's capable of supporting organized life and that is, that's not priced into whatever we're doing right now. 
So there's something really wrong with a lot of that thinking. And I do believe there's alternatives out there. And there's greater minds than mine have probably got this stuff ready to go. It's just a matter now of, it's not a matter of the technical, again, it's the technical um, aspects are understood. The problem is will and a wedded, a weddedness to the ideology. And it's a matter of deciding that we need to do something different and doing it. And we're just nowhere near that right now, but we are moving, you know, we are moving the, the river is running, as I say. And I think people are starting to realize actually this isn't working. COVID has shown to many people that this isn't working. The way things are isn't working and things can change. And I, I do believe we can. I think there is a possibility. Oh, yeah. You don't have to tell me that. <laughs> That's just, it, and I'm glad to hear it. That's the, why I'm here. Yeah, me too. And it, it's, I can't believe that more people aren't, you've made it your life. I, I, I think it's safe to say it is your top it is priority. No, and it is. as with me, and I get some misunderstanding that people think that I just love sustainability. Of course I do. I was not a child growing up thinking, Oh man, I can't wait to do sustainable stuff. I would much rather live in a world where I didn't have to worry about this stuff and everyone just lives sustainably. But that's not the world I'm in. And I don't have a choice on that one. It's, we're heading, the dangers look pretty severe and, and mm. imminent. And when I say imminent, it's painful to think that because it was imminent decades ago for much of the world. Mm. And I don't need to feel it to know that people are suffering. I don't, that, what does it mean to be human if not to care and, and do what we can? So for people, I can't believe how many people are just like, I, I know there's so many people say we have to feel it in order to do something. And I know that they would have said that if I had asked them in 2019, let's say all this, uh, all this encroaching into wildlife territory and, and overcrowding. Let's say that created a global pandemic that put everyone under lockdown. Billions of people, I'm sure in 2019 would have said oh, something like that happened. Of course, then we would act. And not this, oh, they'll stop flying when their lives are at stake. But then as soon as they can, they, they, they will again. And how people not, for, oh, I, I want to talk about, I was going to talk about the heads of these companies, but also just the regular rank and file people. I, I know the urge to pay the mortgage, put the kids through college, but these are not usual times. And this grasping at, I just want to live and let live. What can I do? What I do doesn't matter. We got the United States is 330 million people, all of whom believe what they do doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. They can't. It's yeah. There's a there is this disempowerment, and that is I think you can go different directions with why that is. I think some for some reasons, I think feelings of helplessness, disempowerment are more or less encouraged in our societies by the way that things are set up. People have kind of taught and reinforced in schools and through our cultural things that, you know, even through sport, actually, just to a great degree, that the only, the only person to answer, the only person responsible for your life's outcomes is you. And there's this idea that if you do amazing things, then amazing things are going to happen to you. But it completely cuts out the context behind that. And so, for example, in sports, people say, I've worked really hard and I've made many sacrifices and now I'm successful and it proves that you can be whatever you want to be. But actually, very often, the part about it that they grew up in a suburb with a tennis court that it could go and hit on or 
like I grew up in a suburb with a scout group where I could learn canoeing and then I went to go canoeing. The context is often missed out. And that means to me that a lot of people then, when things aren't going right, when things aren't right, it's just something not sitting. Why is this going on? People look into themselves and their perspectives are blinkered. And it's not because they're blinkered. It's because we're not really taught to stand back and look at this sort of systemic Let's look at the bigger questions. So why? One of the questions that's shocking in this country, you know, we, we lose 1% of GDP, I think, for because of mental health. Mental ill health is responsible for 1% loss. That's a lot of money, and that should matter to, to whoever. But people say, oh, I just have to get better at mental health. We have to have more mental health practitioners. We have to get more you know, qualified people, talk more. Let's, you know, let's, and it's amazing. There's lots of stuff, really positive things. But the question of why? Is, you know, one in every hundred people in that, you know, why, sorry, why is 1% of our GDP being lost? Because so many people are so miserable and upset and unhappy in the world when we're supposed to be, when we're told that we're living in this world of abundance and awesomeness and you can get whatever you want, whenever you want. And that really messes with people's minds. That's the dissonance that just tears you apart because I'm supposed to be feeling great here, but I'm not. And then people say, that must be because I'm not responding to this situation properly. And then I might say, well, stand back. Actually, this situation is not helping you. This is, there's a problem here. And there may well be problems inside of you, but a problem is also outside. It's in the context. And we have to, we can take collective responsibility for that. And we have to have that, you know, understanding to then say, let's make some changes to this. Otherwise, you're just trapped in the individual and you're just saying, actually, it's just my, something's not right. I'm not doing it right. I mustn't be up to the task. I'm miserable and therefore I'm going to carry on in this disempowered way. And we are having to challenge that now. We're seeing people finding their power. We're seeing young people doing that. We're seeing people all around. But there's still this massive effort from other parts of society to try to stop that from happening. And, and that's, that's the struggle that is happening right now, I believe. I think we're in the middle of this quite a titanic effort. Yeah, I'm also reading that something for me, one of the big messages I try to get across is that acting sustainably is not deprivation and sacrifice. And people think that it is. And they th I think most people, if I say to most people, consider not flying, they think, you want me never to see my mom again because she lives on the other coast. Of course, I'm going to pick my mom. And it's hard to get to this, that the reason you live so far apart is because of, of one flight might bring you closer to her. But flying in general means that's why you're apart in the first place. And if you're a business and you think, if I don't fly, my customer, my, my competitor is going to get the business. Yeah, they're competing. Everyone has to compete everywhere all the time because of that. And it wouldn't, if the whole playing field get, it would just be level at a different place. It wouldn't be, mm. uh, you wouldn't be at a disadvantage. And the result would be, you'd be closer to your customers. You'd be closer to your family. But people don't get that. It's very, I don't think I would have gotten this until mm. I lived it. Yeah. I, I, I think that's one of the things that I think people, I think there's two things that people push back on a lot generally. First of all is this idea that the environmentalists are telling you what to do. And maybe people even think Extinction Rebellion are telling them what to do. And that's not true. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling anyone to do. I'm saying this is the thing that's going on. Let's get to grips with it together and let's share 
the once we have the shared understanding of what's going on, which isn't actually that hard, it's not a matter of really we're in this big trouble. Let's share the let's share the path, figure out a fair and sensible way of getting out of here. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I think people are saying is that yes, you have we're advocating this kind of sackcloth existence. And people just get that, they just feel that. And it's actually again Extinction Rebellion specifically saying that we need a citizens' assembly of ordinary people to navigate and chart a path out of this, which basically has legitimacy because it's got nobody with vested interest in there and it's being done by ordinary people. But what I think that the long, once ordinary people get together and really grasp the scale of this situation, it's as if I say we had the don't look up with the, the meteorite. This is as if we were going to be taken out once we are grasping that we realize we've got to do things all together to make so for example i think for example in the united kingdom it's an opening before the second world war started we realized we were in big trouble we were going to run out of food and we have to have rationing and everyone was like well we don't want to die we don't have rationing uh, so we don't want to run out of food so let's ration it and because ordinary people were okay with that everyone buys into it and life was different of course people wanted to have whatever it is, two kilos of butter every day. I don't know what they wanted in that day. They could only have a, a little handful, whatever. But the there is we're not going to have the abundance of all the things that we have now. We can't. That we That's literally going to be impossible, I do believe. But what we can have in return is a more, I believe we can have a happier and genuinely more fulfilled, joyful, content life with more time, more connection, more, more fun, all of these things. If we get off of this system, which basically obliges us to keep the hamster wheel running and accelerating, in fact, you know, perpetual compounded growth year on year means we've got to work harder. And all the technology that we're promised doesn't ever go into like making things easier. It just makes it easier to work harder. And so I actually think the alternative society that we could move towards is one that people deep down can imagine because actually the one that we're living in right now, for a lot of people, if they look around and search within themselves, I think they can see mm, actually all this stuff. When I come back from my amazing holiday, it's still quite rubbish. I feel really stressed and horrible. I'm not getting, don't enjoy, I don't know who my neighbors are. There's people out in the streets that are homeless and it makes me feel really uncomfortable to see them. Whatever, whatever symptoms it is you see all around you when you see, it's really not nice. And I actually think there is an alternative. But again, it's this kind of almost, I think it's a fairly active campaign to, to keep us not thinking, to not make, mm-hmm. don't look up. And I don't look up now, just in the, to don't look up from the street right in front of your foot, your feet right in front of you. If you look up just a little bit, you can see something's wrong. An alternative is out there. And I think it's nicer, it's kinder, it's fairer, it's more calm, it is healthier, all of those things. And to me, that is good. Why would I not want to do that? Yeah, it makes me think of, I've been, for my book, I was writing about examples of not how we might, to say that we have to be go full free market. And I don't know if you do it, but I would have to put free in quotes there because it's not free. It, it's just, mm. and, if they think the other, the only alternative is socialism and communism, 
All you have to do is show one alternative and that shows, okay, that spectrum is off. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I learned about the, the San Bushman in Southern Africa from this book, Affluence Without Abundance by James Sussman, who's been on the podcast. And I realized, I learned that people have lived there in the Kalahari Desert. The archaeological record shows for something like 200,000 years. Wow. Talk about stability. Mm-hmm. And we say, oh, they were, the reason we put on fat so easily is that we lived in scarcity. You don't live for 200,000 years in scarcity, like on the edge of starvation. And actually, the first Westerner who lived among them, this maybe 100 years ago, went there and there was a famine in the region. And they had to ship in all this food, but not to the San. To the agriculturalists, they had to because they were facing famine. But the San just, they ate what they eat during the dry times. Mm. And then when it wasn't dry, they go back to what they're eating in the non-dry times. And then now I've been watching about the Hadza in Tanzania who've lived their way for something like 50,000, maybe 100,000 years. And the question occurred to me, if we're so wealthy, why are we taking their land? Mm. Why, if, they, if, if we have what they want, why are they resisting us? They see us. They know what we're doing. Maybe wealth, I mean, it looks less that we're wealthy and more like we're needy and dependent mm. on growth. And it's really a change in perspective that I think a lot of people, certainly myself up until recently, would think, if we don't live this way, what alternatives? We could live like communists, and that was like Stalin. I could look at, but if it was before this, I think that the default for a lot of people is to look at like Europe in 1300 and say, oh, they're living in mud and it was cold all the time and they didn't have any, mm-hmm. every now and then a plague would come through. And, or the Stone Age. And the Stone Age means getting eaten by lions all the time. I'm not sure, but, and. I wasn't there neither. Then when we look at, the Hawaiians before Captain Cook found them, or I don't know if you've read Robin Kimmerer's book on braiding sweetgrass of Native Americans, but like lots of places, many places resisted this market system invading them. I don't think there are many places that said, let's go for it. And I think they looked at us or our ancestors and said, I don't, I don't want that. Like the, the sun can choose it. And I think from our perspective, the mainstream view would be what's wrong with them don't they see how good we have it why don't they get on board why yeah. what do we have to do to, what do we have to do to get these people to see how good things are here and they're looking at us and being like that looks terrible yeah and they yeah. some of them really they have no concept of what it means to uh, their culture just doesn't accept owning land keeping people off of land mm taking more than you need. They simply won't do it. They just don't take more than they need. And Mm. 200,000 years, that's a thousand times longer than from the industrial revolution to today. Yeah, yeah. What? Where's our humility to ask what we can learn from them as opposed Mm. to what we have to tell them, what they have to learn from us? Yeah. It's very thought-provoking. When I mentioned my mom... When Blake came back from Japan and he got the silver medal, I was like, oh, I, I told her, I got this great guest, he, really great conversation. And he just kept, got back from Tokyo. And she goes, ah, how did he get there? Because she said, ha, checkmate, he flew. 
And I'm like, well, environment hasn't been his issue. I don't think it was really on his radar for, for any of me at all. And, but I also thought, let's say if you can't fly, you can't have the Olympics. But then I thought, wait a minute. A couple things occurred to me. One of that is that most people's experience of the Olympics is sitting on a couch watching TV. Yes. If people weren't, full, if, if, if the event weren't happening, because it's, it's something like 100,000 flights to make one of these things happen. It's a lot. Mm. Then people are going to play sports more. I think it actually, there'd be a lot more local competition. We might not have these same bolts emerge of like someone who like just reaches the absolute limit of human capability or yourself. And, yeah. uh, but, the, but there'd be a lot more competition and sports and fun and play. Cause then I, mm. so I looked it up. The Wright brothers was 1903. Mm. By that point, there had been decades of soccer. No, soccer goes back way before. I mean, it's antecedents, mm. but baseball, football, hockey, these things all go back way. Like sports doesn't need fossil fuels, mm. needs sports a lot more. And if you look at like track or wrestling, this goes back thousands of years. Wrestling seems to predate humanity because if you look at our primate cousins and all mammals play. They like a bit of wrestling as well. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I don't think we we tend to think stuff is we need X to get this thing that we like. But I think the things we like, we get without those things. Yeah, I think sports at its heart is about enjoying your body, enjoying its capabilities. And of course, a lot of sports is to do with competition. And people say, oh, but sports is about competition and we're competitive creatures. Absolutely. We have that part in us and that's being prioritized and foregrounded and lionized and, and whatever. But sports is also massively about cooperation, teams, and society is hugely, again, about cooperation. Very little can be achieved by one person. And sports teaches about cooperation and communication and shared, coming to shared understandings and, and goals that are shared and, and, and that moving towards things. And so to me, sports is fun. It feels nice. And I, I do understand not everybody out there likes sports. That's often because people come to sports through their school. I didn't like sports at school. I only, I tried to get into it because I wanted to become a fighter pilot, which I need to be fit now before, but. A lot of people come to sports. It's not it's movement, your body, dancing, climbing. Little kids do this. They love it. And then at some point, things start to happen to them that mean they don't do that. And especially now, you, you get like Fortnite and it's, yeah, I want to play that. It's way cooler. But the sports and activities to me is, you know, is an entertainment. And, and like many things, it has been, you know, monetized. People have realized. Wherever there's human emotion, wherever there's anticipation, excitement, sometimes drama, conflict, where there's absolute outrageous joy and incredible exuberance, money to be made there. You can attach the idea of a product to that and create money out of it. And that, that's, that's, that's been going on for a long time. But sport in itself doesn't have to have any of those things. And it can be just done literally and, and it can be quite cool. And you can get people who are very good at it and you say, actually, hats off to them. It's just at the moment when people get good at something, it's hugely rewarded in society and it gets a bit out of hand and a bit crazy out there. 
but actually just being good at something is cool. But then someone else could be awesome at making super nice pottery. I don't know. You know what I mean? There's 101 things, 1,001 things. And just diversifying what we value would be very valuable, I think. Uh, and sports, I think, would be also very – Is a lot of sports are quite simple. And I think there's a benefit in there to, to making – to coming back to sports, what it is all about. And so I also think that a lot of people watch sports and go, well, I don't like the way that these players are paid so much or it seems like they're behaving really badly just to get the win or the corruption behind the scenes and all this sort of thing. People, I think people just want to see something cool that they enjoy and sometimes people want to play them. And if they did, that would be great. So to me, sports is a part of a new future that we would work towards because it is a very healthy, natural thing. And it creates good feelings for people. So it's a win. You remind me of an ad that I saw, must have been when I was a real little kid. And it showed, it alternated between one, first it would show football players, American football players playing like really tough, all the grit and stuff. But the music was like this classical music, very ethereal music. And then switch over to show ballerinas dancing. And the music was like, death metal. Yeah. And not death metal, but like something more that would match football more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it was like, oh, the appeal, I, I didn't notice how similar they were. Mm. And that increased my appeal for performance activities that weren't necessarily the ones that I first thought of. Yeah, it's expression. And I, I think for me, I think we see it in sports, we see it in art. And in fact, we see lots of people being in the zone, the flow state, just being happy and joyful is expressing something inside of you that quiet people express themselves as well as loud noisy people like me there's lots of different ways we can express and to me again i think we live in a society that's got this weird way of expressing and it's very odd there's lots of different ways of expressing ourselves and it feels really good to to do that and there's lots of ways to me that are again do not rely on fossil fuels or doing someone over somewhere or whatever it is about there's something fairly simple about a lot of things where we get the chance to yeah express our soul energy our energy that's inside us in some way that is pleasurable to us that can be we talked about singing it can be there's so many ways everyone's got almost everyone's got something that they like doing and in a way, it's expressing a part of yourself. It may not be expressing it too, but it's getting it out from inside. And, and that's a joyous thing. And I think that is what sports is good at. It shows that there are people who are extremely good at doing that and extremely good at expressing themselves in the key, hardest, most intense moments. But I think sports is cool. And that's why I do think sports will and should survive. But it just has to change. It will have to change. Otherwise, we won't be doing very much sports. What? I'm hearing what you're saying also that you've no doubt, and now independent of what we talked about last time, a year ago, you've no doubt chosen to live more sustainably than you did before. And yeah. if so, are the things that you've found on your own that we've switched into living more sustainably and found more joy than you expected? Or it was easier than you thought, or it opened things up? Yeah, let me think. There's it's quite interesting. Lots of different ways, I think. I suppose, first of all, what I eat, I think, is quite 
interesting because now I'm a plant-based or vegan, whichever way you want to say it, there's a bit of a difference. It's basically not eating things and taking things from them. I yeah eat really well, super tasty stuff that I would never have eaten before. And there's lots of different ways of doing it. Imagination and, and creativity and very tasty. And it's nice because in some ways... You know, I used to really enjoy taste of pepperoni and cheese on my pizza. But then when you get a pizza that's super, super tasty and it's not, we've got no things on it, you think, wow, that's cool. So that's one thing. And I think another area I really work quite hard on is kind of localizing my life as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is a huge amount of beauty all around and in front of us that kind of can be missed when you're roving around. I think... And there's also some satisfaction being creative and trying to do things that are around you rather than going somewhere else to find something, see what's around you and do that because actually it suits, it suits that, it suits that place, for example. So I live for, right now, I live, you know, in Nottingham and that really suits canoeing because there's a canoe course there that runs off the river and I'm lucky enough to go there. Also, I've got a girlfriend who lives um, down in Dorset on the coast. It's very windy there. So when I travel there and I try not to travel too often and blah, blah, but when I go there, canoeing is not as good, but I do windsurfing because it's really fun. And I've got some secondhand windsurfing stuff. And if I end up living down there more, I'm probably not going to go canoeing as long. Go canoeing on the sea. I'm not going to get to do the sort of canoeing I used to do. So it's just not there, but I'm not going to drive two hours to go and do that. I'm going to do something that's on my doorstep that's really cool. And you end up trying different things. It's again, it's almost like the analogy of tasting different things, tasting different experiences that are closer to home, which you would, you know, literally drive past or fly over on the way to get something that you've got your eye on somewhere else. So I think that's really nice kind of analogy. And I think health, I try to think about my health, mental health and physical health as well in relation to my society. If I'm healthy, I'm a part of my society and the health of my community, that is also a very nourishing thing to do because it means you're, again, coming out of yourself a little bit and looking after, again, I think human beings are very deeply programmed to look after people. It's just a part of our programming that's not very much super rewarded in, in our society these days. But it's really nice to look after people, be close to people, support people, and that is very nice. So I have definitely noticed that because as an athlete, I was very reliant, self-reliant, independent. But now I've started to realize there's out there I can, people can help me and I can help them and it creates a very nice feeling. So to me, again, this is an example of how we could move towards healthier and happier ways of doing things. Um, and I, yeah, I feel, yeah, of course, I'd, I'd love to fly to New Zealand. I think it's an amazing country. I just don't think I can justify that anymore. And it's, that is sad. But actually, I can go to places in the UK without too much trouble that are actually really nice. And if I look around nice places, you can even look in your garden and see some really cool things that you've never looked at before. So it's, a, it's just that interesting, just a change in perspective, changing kind of approach. And that to me is quite nice. I, I enjoy that. If this is the, this is one of the big messages I'm trying to get out. I, I'm hearing joy that was hidden from you, if I don't misread you, that it was always there. And if you're in New Zealand, you're not next door. And what people don't get 
until they experience it. And then I think it hits people like a ton of bricks is that there's no nature's everywhere. The Grand Canyon, there's a certain beauty to it. Yes. But there's no greater than the beauty of anywhere around. And the craving and feeling you're missing out is a big problem that mm. what you're talking about, you went right to food, which is one of the, that's certainly my starting point. And then locally being local and, this message of joy of, believe it or not, when you switch, you're actually going to like the things that you think mm. are deprivation. Cause they're not. They're, it's, I'll it's, tell you a nice one that I think is pretty cool. This is something that I've noticed and I don't actually. So in Nottingham, we've got quite a good, I'd say reasonably pretty good effort and they're working quite hard to have a, an integrated kind of public transporty thing going on and more cycle lanes and they're still not doing as good at that but they, they, they work, I do believe they're trying to but in Nottingham and I think it's it's all around the world now, we've got this new form of personal transport which is these little scooters, electric scooters mm-hmm. yeah, and when I watch people travelling around on them, they're having a wicked time, it's a really fun way of getting around and I can just, I have a push scooter that I just kick along on my feet and <clears throat> I think that's really cool. I really enjoy it. Of course, it's sometimes a bit wet in the UK and don't use it all the time. I use my bike with mudguards. But my point is that is an individual transport solution that is actually fun. People enjoy it. It's good for the planet if it's done sensibly because we don't have to have huge batteries and everything all like that. I, I actually think that's a really positive thing. Cycling is actually a really nice way of getting around. You see old people, you know, not loads, but old people love cycling, cruising around and going along only just a bit faster than I could run, can walk sometimes. They're obviously doing that because it's, they get to go, for, they get to roam and get to feel a bit of wind in their hair. So I think there's lots of little ways like that, that once we start doing them, they'll just seem completely cool. And the things that we used to do, like just sitting in our cars, which are basically like a box for inhaling our own exhaust fumes and other people's, they're going to go, wow, really? So we may as well get on it. Yeah. To me, that makes sense. That flip of in, in the world I grew up in, in the 70s in the United States, car meant freedom. And I think you're describing in today's world, and probably that world too, is car equals isolation. You're stuck in traffic, whereas riding a bike is freedom. And if you live, if your heart is telling you car equals freedom, somebody says bike is freedom. Probably they're like, yeah, you can say that, but not really. But then you experience it. And uh, that's my... It takes takes a systemic... Again, I'm trying to zoom out because it does need... You can get run over in your bike in the city. It can be quite unpleasant. It can be a bit fumey and nasty. And then we can have clean zones, clean air zones, whatever. And then you can get to these places and you can get around. And so it takes a bit of facilitation an investment up front to create the cycle lanes and what have you but these things are very i think they are nice and they are healthy because at the end of the day i do think human beings we do i like to get around and roam and, and cruise about and feel the wind in our hair it's a lovely thing to do but it doesn't have to be in ways that are detrimental to our future and all the futures of all the people we care about and the futures of everyone who's not even been born yet to me it's you do have to set it against that very clearly otherwise it does. It is a harder deal. Actually, there's this YouTube series called Not Just Bikes. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but I think you might like it. It's this guy, I think, born in Canada, moved to the Netherlands, and did a whole series on what makes their cities different. And 
you know, it's not just bikes. And, and I didn't know this, that Amsterdam in the 70s was overrun with cars. And they had a proposal to come in for, I believe, an American to come in and build giant highways into the center of the city, knocking out a lot of what is now what you think of as Amsterdam. And they, through concerted work and effort, changed it to what we think of as today. And the they worked at it. And no one <laughs> would switch from Amsterdam today to what that proposal was. Mm. And then he also talks about all these ramifications. Like cities aren't noisy. Cars are noisy. That's one of the one of them. And that's an interesting idea, but he really goes into the depth. And this is the in America, most people would think bikes, it's just not really a good thing. But then when you see how it could be Amsterdam mm. or Copenhagen, and then it's a whole it's not just maybe we could get by, it's oh, it's far preferable. Yeah. The cities are cities are very efficient places to to live, and you can have all the things that you need in a very short, you know, small amount of space, as long as you're not just living in this little box that you go in a little other little box or stand in another box, not speaking to anyone else with your little earphones in, going to another box where you don't speak to anybody, you just type all your stuff into a little box and you go home. Places you can meet and nice things can happen and we can celebrate and enjoy. And I think there's, there's something I really enjoy this idea of is called the private sufficiency and public luxury. So having lots of amazing things that we can share and enjoy together, but actually living much more simply seems to be quite sensible. And, and, and probably again, we do have the choice. We can continue this fantasy that we're on and it, the wheels will fall off big time. Or we can say, actually, we've got an alternative. We need to choose this. Otherwise, this isn't going to, you know, this isn't going to work. We have to take an alternative. Let's choose one that we, we feel is, you know, going to work for us because right now it just doesn't make sense. We can't continue as we are. It's going to end. We just I have to you, choose the manner of its ending. I offer you an addendum to that, which is that it's not just that the wheel, the, the wheels are falling off one way and therefore we should go the other way. What you won't get, what you won't believe until you experience it is actually the other way is way better. Yeah, whole hundred percent. It's not yeah. like oh, it sucks if we do this. We got to do this other thing. It's and we've mistakenly assumed that somehow it's actually way, way yes more okay, of what yeah. we want. One hundred percent. I'm totally agree with you there, Josh. Because I think that we yeah we have got the opportunity in changing this to change to something, and we. There's so much knowledge out there. It's not a matter of this. It's just a matter of doing it because people know how to do this. We, there's already the understandings to make things, these, this happier, nicer place exist. We just have to work pretty hard at it, make some big decisions, but I think it's possible and I really want it to be. And I think it's completely within our grasp and the people who say not and the people who are trying to stop that from happening tragically misguided and I will not follow them off, off the cliff. I propose, actually, this is what I wanted to talk about this. And, and I'm glad we, cause you've made changes independent of the singing. And I propose picking this up again, possibly a year from now, <laughs> January 26, 2023. Or maybe if there's news of what Extinction Rebellion is doing, if you get arrested again, or if there's updates, maybe you could update us here, email mm -hmm. me and say, Hey, Josh, there's new stuff to share. Or if you do something okay, like, yeah. oh, man, I made this other change and it was way awesome. Mm -hmm. 
We'll just come back oh, again. Lovely. I mean, you know, we I'm working very much at the moment with Champions for Earth to try to expand this network of athletes and empower more people from a sports background to bring their skills, their passion and energy to this climate emergency. And I think that's, I'm looking, I'm hoping I can do that. And I'm also definitely going to be working really hard for Extinction Rebellion, volunteering really hard for Extinction Rebellion. And yeah, the chances are I will probably get arrested again because I believe that peaceful civil disobedience is really sensible and proportionate an appropriate response until we see some meaningful changes from the, the direction of travel that we're on. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll have something to talk to you about. Do I, do, do I detect a bit of like, I'll get arrested, like with a smile? Yes, I, um, I'm i not saying that I like this. It's not because it's difficult, it's stressful. and But there is something that I believe is important in all again all human beings is a bit of rebelliousness and not all i'm saying a lot of human beings and i i feel good about what i'm doing i think it's i I know lots of people don't like what i'm doing but i actually believe a large number of people the people who care about i know and also lots and lots of people i don't care about but people who i would you know imagine i would feel comfortable with totally get what we're doing and why and we're doing this for all the people who don't get it as well because our planet is dying we need to help them out as well and there is no kind of to me no problems i think that we're in this situation people will act as best as they can but i'm happy and i do relish our ability to make a change feeling empowered is a good feeling and i do feel like i can make a difference with my actions and and we're proving that otherwise they wouldn't be trying to shut us down as hard and all around the world so yeah when i smile when i say that it's because i actually believe what we're doing is good powerful sensible and and it's working well etienne start thank you very much and i propose picking up here next time thank you How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.